0: Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in Psalm 16. This is message number six, and our last message from this beautiful psalm. The last three verses are wonderful verses quoted in the New Testament, as we will see in just a little bit. These last three verses actually... The last four, that is half of verse 8, is quoted in the New Testament, and we're told there that these are the words of the Lord Jesus himself also. Throughout this psalm, uh, all of these words sometimes are attributed to Christ, uh, but David takes them and applies them to himself in hopes of his own resurrection, in hopes uh, that God, of course, will do these things for him, and we should be this, we should do the same also. I want you to, uh, if you can, holding your place here, go to the book of Acts chapter 2. Now, we're going to go to Acts twice this morning, but the first time I want you to see uh, in Acts chapter 2 where these verses are. Now, remember, for those of you in the auditorium here, we just read verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, my heart is glad, my My glory rejoices, my flesh also shall rest in hope. Now as you go to Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And Peter uh, uh, must convince the Jewish hearers that Jesus really was the Christ. And though they saw him crucified, he died, was buried, but rose again the third day. This is Peter's uh, theme. He has to preach this. So if you look at chapter 2 and verse 24, for example, in Acts, he will say about Christ whom God raised up. I mean, this is striking news to his hearers just a few days after this. Having loosed the pains of death because, notice, it was not possible that he should be held by it, that is, by death. So notice now, for David says concerning him, So David is pointing out these words were concerning Christ. And now we have the quotation, first of all, beginning at the last half of our verse 8. But he says, "'I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades or hell.' Hades, the New Testament word. Sheol was the Old Testament word. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, that's the end of the quotation, but read on a little further with me. Now, men and brethren, he says, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him uh, an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades or hell nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God hath raised up, of which we are all witnesses. One more verse. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received of the Father and the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see, and that is the, the miraculous things on the day of Pentecost. So notice how Peter uses our text, and he does it to prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after three days, that his flesh did not even begin to deteriorate in the grave, and it couldn't do that. And so what he's saying uh, to the the Jews is, this is your Christ, your Old Testament scriptures have said this, here's the completion or the fulfillment of that prophecy that David made. Now not only that, as we go back to, to chapter 16 or the 16th psalm, That is, David is going to say, therefore, I have this promise. I will be resurrected one day. I will be at the right hand of the Father one day. And you and I can make that same claim also if we have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, amazingly, in Psalm 16, 9, 10, and 11, these three verses will speak of death and then burial And then resurrection. What does that sound like to you? Death, burial, and resurrection? Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, if we backed up into verse 8, where we were before, then you have the life of Christ. He was always before the Lord, He was always doing those things which are right. He had no sin in His life. So, really, you have the life, then the death, then the burial, then the resurrection and David is laying all of that out, and Peter uses that in his sermon, of course, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so no wonder Peter liked this passage. No wonder Paul likes it, and a little bit later we'll go to, um, uh, to the book of Acts in chapter 13 and look at Paul's quotation of at least one of our verses. You know, I have found, in in more so today than, than uh, forever in my years of ministry, that people are confused about life after death. As a matter of fact, a lot of Christian people are confused about life after death. It's just what will happen there? When I when I speak at a funeral these days, and I, I, I'm more often than not, I'm speaking to Christian people about a, a Christian person who has passed away, and you and I, you know, we, we can... Uh, we can speak to one another. We, we understand these things. We speak about these things. But I look out over the audience that's there, and maybe there are extended family members, and there are neighbors, and, and workers, and, and just friends. And I realize that a lot of times the language we're speaking, they have no clue what we're talking about. It's just a, a blank look on their face. And I find myself more often than not just having to go back to very simple terms and concepts about what happens when a person dies and what we believe as Christians where that person is why we're still looking at that body what we, what do we mean when we talk about resurrection someday to you and I that may seem like simple terms but it isn't always as a matter of fact we will give a lesson on prophecy or maybe we'll begin to speak on heaven or hell and then you just realize that just people today Uh, have not been brought up with the scriptures, have maybe not uh, been brought up in church at all, and this is all new to them. So before we go further, let me give you an ABC of what we're talking about, if you will, okay? Here's the ABC. A, we die. And when we die, the spirit and the body are separated. We still see the body, but the spirit is gone. It's gone somewhere both saved people and lost people, but the spirit is gone, okay? That's A. B, well, the body goes in the ground, and it goes back to dust, and it stays there until a later day called resurrection. The spirit goes on, and the spirit then lives either in heaven or in hell, depending on whether a person is lost or saved, a Christian or not a Christian. So that's the B. B. The body's here. The spirit is somewhere else. See, resurrection day is coming. Everyone will be resurrected. First, the saved people will be resurrected. That spirit that's been in heaven will be put back into a resurrected body, and we will go live with the Lord forever in heaven. For lost people, that spirit that has been in hell will be put back in a resurrected body, and they will be in the lake of fire like that uh, forever so A, B, and C, that's, uh, that's about as simple as we get. But let's put a little meat on these bones, okay? Let's, let's talk about this a little farther, if you will. So notice if you have a, an outline, uh, you do in your bulletin if you're looking at that or it's on your screen. So I'm going to talk about those three things, the promises that come to us in death, come some of them out of verse 9, this, this very psalm, then the promise of life. And that is, though you see my body in the ground, uh, I'm living somewhere. And then the promise of resurrection, and that is there's a future coming for all of us. So first of all, the promise in death, verse 9, deals with the body. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, but my flesh will rest in hope. This body, this thing that I'm living in, this flesh will rest in a grave, in a, in a tomb, uh, but it will do so in hope. We'll look at that. Now, first of all, a glad heart. David says, that makes my heart glad. Even the Lord would say, that makes my heart glad. Why? Because I'm going to have eternal life. I, I don't fear death, and a Christian should not. Let me remind you of these verses. In Hebrews 2.14, The writer of Hebrews says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, you and I live in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Maybe before you got saved, you were afraid to die. You didn't know where you'd go. You didn't know what lay beyond the grave. You didn't know what God would say to you. All your lifetime, having this fear of death, and all of a sudden you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you realize that he conquered death, uh, and so will you, and you have no fear of death any longer. Paul would write it in 1 Corinthians 15, remember, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, or Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. In other words, if you're a sinner, you fear it. The strength of sin is the law. You know what God has said. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this victory. And so even David can say, as the Lord, therefore my heart is glad. And I tell you, as many times as I've stood at gravesides or a, uh, beside deathbeds and the rest, uh, there is a vast difference between those who have this faith and those do, who do not. There is a glad heart uh, that you know where you're going when you die. Second, and, and by the way, should I say that uh, old age just uh, anticipates it more and more. That's okay. You know, you know death is a penalty for sin. Adam and Eve's sin passed on to all the rest of us, for by one man's sin entered into the world, death by sin. So we know that's true. But you know what? I, I think God has kind of made us also so that as, as we get closer to death, we're a little more glad for it. Now that sounds morbid maybe, but this body wears out. It starts hurting. You can't do the things that you used to do. It, it's not as much fun as it used to be. And so you kind of say, someday I'm gonna have a new body. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a new life. I'm gonna be young forever. And I tell you the truth, I kind of can't wait until that comes. So it isn't all bad about getting older either, because your heart is glad. Secondly, I put down a praiseful tongue, and I don't know if you caught this, but uh in the uh, uh in the Acts chapter 2 where Peter quotes this he says therefore my did my heart rejoice my tongue was glad whereas in our text here we have my glory rejoices i think that Peter used the word tongue here because the greatest glory that we give to God is with our tongue that's how we glorify the lord that's how we rejoice in his glory we have to speak it once in a while. Sometimes we just have to say it. Uh, that is the heart of evangelism. That's the heart of the gospel that we speak it. This week uh, I had to have a windshield replaced on my car. You know, it, it was that it was that zero-degree day back in, I don't know, January, whenever that was, we had those single-digit days. And so I go outside, and I open the car door. I get in, and I start the car, and what do I do? I put the defroster on hot and let it run. And sure enough, what does that windshield do? Crack right across the bottom, you know, from that heat on that cold windshield. So I've been waiting around forever to change it. As a matter of fact, I traded cars with my wife so that she'd have to drive with it. But uh, now it's time to change it. So (laughs) I call the glass company, and they say, Um, well, do you want to bring it into the shop or do you want us to come out? Well, you know, I've seen the commercials and all that. And I said, no, come on, come out the house and do it. I want to see it. So sure enough, they had an appointment. They came out. What is this nice young man? And uh, he'd been doing this for most of his life. And so uh, it just so happened we had to bring the car in the garage because it was going to sprinkle a little bit. So he's doing it in my garage and uh, with, you know, putting that glass on everything. So he and I got to talking. Nice young man. He does, he blows glass, you know, because he loves glasswork and he makes jewelry and things like that. Really interesting. So uh, I said, Well, where did you grow up? He said, In Utah. I said, Oh, did you grow up in the Mormon church? He said, Yeah, I grew up in the Mormon church, but he said, I don't practice it anymore. And immediately he began to say, Well, you know, I just kind of believe. It's up to everyone what they want to believe, and as long as we just give everybody else what, whatever they want to think, and don't bother anybody. He's probably been witness to before, you know, and don't bother anybody. Uh, I think we'll be okay. Now, folks, when, when you're standing in a garage alone with a young man who says something like that, your mouth has to open itself. You know, you just, you have to say something. So I begin, you know, saying, well, you know, I... I use the word evangelical because they understand that a little more. I said, I, I have an evangelical faith. I said, I believe that you must be born again, that the Bible is the word of God, and that you must place your faith and trust in him in order to have eternal life. Now, maybe he's heard that before, maybe not. Of course, he's changing a windshield. <laughs> you know, he do not want to hear a whole sermon. But I'm just pointing, and, and of course, it didn't go much farther than that. But I'm just saying, sometimes your tongue has to rejoice. You just, you're just forced into saying, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you this. And by the way, I'm three times as old as he was, so he had to listen to me. He had to obey his elders, so that was good. All right, so your tongue, your tongue has, to, has to say this. And, and you know, uh, it's such a, a blessing when you get, again, to our age, that uh, though the the flesh will go back to dust, the spirit will go back to God who gave it. You just can't you can't wait till that day. But notice, I say thirdly about this promise that we have in our in the time of death, we have a restful flesh. That's the body. That's the thing we live in. So he says, my flesh also will rest in hope. Now, first of all, the Lord could say that, of course, about his own flesh. As a matter of fact, he did often say that uh, I will be like Jonah three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then I'll be gone. He's predicted that. He knows that uh, that will be true. But even David can say, I know that because of what my Savior will do, that my flesh will rest in hope. I know that uh, someday it'll come out of that grave, and I have confidence in that. I notice these three words, the word my, and the word flesh, and the word hope. Now, I emphasize the word my because he's talking also about himself. Let me, let me go way back to the words of Job 1925, Job 1925. You remember these familiar words? I know that my Redeemer liveth. Notice the first personal pronoun. I know that my Redeemer liveth. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and after my skin, my flesh, my skin is destroyed, this I know that, my, that in my flesh I will see God. Now here's Job talking even before Moses. This, this is old times. And he says, I know that because my Redeemer is going to live, then I will stand before God one day in my flesh. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. He had that confidence. And I think that's what David is expressing here and also what is quoted of the very words of the Lord himself. So my flesh, this body, You will put this in the grave someday, like many of us have put our loved ones in the ground already. That flesh, that body will come out. That's the hope that we have. So it's mine, it's my flesh, my very body. By the way, do we not say we have to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Don't we say that? And we're going to see in this passage why we have to say that. Well, if we can say that the bodily resurrection of Christ is important, one reason is, is because your bodily resurrection is important, and it will rise one day. It has to corrupt first, because you're not like a sin, you don't have a sinless body like Jesus did, but you have a body nonetheless. And then, my flesh will rest in hope. That's quite a New Testament word. It's quite an Old Testament word, really, because the resurrection and that looking ahead to the time, sometime when my body lives again and my spirit is put back in that body, that is the great hope of the gospel. Now, remember, Paul in Romans chapter 8 said, it's not the kind of hope that you say, boy, I don't know, but I really hope so. This hope is just something that it's not seen yet, but you know it's coming. I want to take you back to Acts chapter 23 and 26, and you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. You can turn if you want to. It's a free country. Uh, In in Acts 23, 6, in Acts 23, 6, Paul is uh, before the council of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and so forth. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection, the other part Pharisees, who do believe in a resurrection, he cried out and said, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am judged. You're talking to me, you're accusing me of believing in a resurrection, and I want you to know I believe in it, the hope of resurrection. Now, a couple chapters later, chapter 26, verse 6, he's standing before Agrippa, And he says, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God day and night, hope to come. And for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. And then he says to Agrippa, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? (laughs) You believe in God. He created this world in six days. He, he spoke the stars into existence. Is it a big deal that he's going to raise the dead? Uh, he made the first man out of the dust of the ground anyway. He can make the rest of us out of the dust of the ground. It's no hard thing for him. Yes, that is true. Remember also that it's a great hope because 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, about the, the rapture passage, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then there's coming a resurrection day for you. Paul starts that out when he starts talking about the rapture and our, and our time of resurrection. If you're in Christ, if you believe because he did it, we will do it in that same passage. I've often read that at funerals, uh, often at a gravesite. I'm standing beside a grave, and there's the casket, and the families gathered around, and, and, and pretty soon that casket, of course, will be put in the ground. And so I'll read 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And I will point out that that expression, the dead in Christ shall rise first, that's a translation of a word that means to stand up. The dead in Christ shall stand up. Now, the rapture will take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, but maybe we stand up first so that we're all on the same level, those who are living and those who are dead, and then we go in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I'll say to the people standing there, I'd hate to be the guy mowing this grass in the cemetery when this resurrection day happens and all of these people stand up all of these believers in this cemetery, wherever they are, and then they all of a sudden disappear. I guarantee you there won't be any more grass mowing going on that day. Uh, either he'll be gone or he'll run, one of the two. But that is the promise that we have. And so our flesh rests in hope. We even uh, uh, we make a person look like they're sleeping, though they're dead. And sleep is a euphemism for death in the New Testament. We all sleep but we'll all, we'll all be uh, awakened. And it and, uh, used to be that they would bury people with their feet toward the east so that the, if they sat up as you would do in bed, if you wake up, you're facing the east because Jesus will come from the east. I mean, all of those symbolisms were, used to be practiced all the time in a cemetery uh, because of a belief in a resurrection. It's a good thing. All right, the promise in death. Secondly, there's a promise in life in verse 10 then of our passage, You will not leave my soul in. Now you have Sheol or you have the word hell. Hell is fine because it's translated from Sheol in the Hebrew or from Hades in the Greek, so uh, hell is what we're talking about here. Nor will you allow your Holy One. Notice the capital letters meaning, of course, Jesus Christ himself. And David saying these things a thousand years before Jesus came, he calls him the Holy One the anointed of God, the Messiah, you won't even allow him to see corruption. His body cannot even decay. And it cannot because it's holy, of course. Now, a couple thoughts here. Number one, uh, we, we have this promise of life apart from hell. That is Sheol or Hades. It's is quoted in Acts chapter 2 that it describes a place of the dead. You have to understand Old Testament terminology. There is a literal hell. Don't get me wrong. There always has been. Since the, since the angel's sin, hell was created for Satan and his angels. So there's always been a literal hell. But also, sometimes hell or Sheol is described as the place of all the dead. And somewhere the spirit goes, and somewhere the body goes. We know the body's in the ground, the spirit's somewhere. And basically what David is saying is, wherever that place of the dead is, I know that you will not leave me there. And you'll not leave the Holy One there. And sure enough, uh, when Jesus died, uh, his spirit was alive, and after, and before three days and three nights, his body uh, was brought back to life also. You'll not leave me there. You remember Matthew 16, 18. I say to you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and, what is the rest of the phrase? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because you have been born again. And the promise that you have is that, the, that death, has no hold over you. First of all, when you die, though your body's put in the ground, your spirit is immediately with the Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So the gates of Hades has no hold on your spirit. Secondly, though the body does go back to dust and waits till resurrection day, one day the bodies are going to be brought out of the grave. And there's no way that the earth can stop that from happening. And so the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, that is, the believers in Jesus Christ, no matter which way that may go. And so I say we have this promise of life apart from hell. It will not affect us. I should make this comment here that some have, uh, there's an old view that Jesus went to hell for a while, meaning not to be tormented but to proclaim liberty. And that's an old view uh, taken from this verse and from 1 Peter 3. uh, He went and preached to the spirits in prison or Ephesians 4, that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. But uh, that can simply mean that he came to this earth to die. He went into death and he was brought out of death and went back to the Father. As a matter of fact, as I was reading Spurgeon even, of all things. He said, this idea held by the older reformers was almost universally and, as we believe, most properly repudiated by the Puritans. So there's an old controversy about that, but the fact is, whichever way good men believe on that, it doesn't affect what's being said here about uh, the resurrection and the life of Christ. Now, my second point here is that it's apart from annihilation. You've got to think with me here a little bit. What do I mean by this? Well, uh, he says here you will not leave your Holy One, not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And as I've already said, that means that the body of Jesus Christ would come out of the grave before it started to deteriorate before it started to decay, and that's exactly what happened, right? Do you remember that when, when uh, Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, that uh, he said to the people standing around, "'Take away the stone,' and Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, "'Lord, by this time there is a stench,' or he stinketh, "'for he has been dead four days.'" In other words, they believed, and and biologically I guess it was so, that after a certain number of days the body begins to decay, right? And so you can't take it away now because it's past three days. I also found in Leviticus 7.18 that when they sacrificed the body of an animal and the priests were supposed to eat that meat you know, from the sacrifice, that they were not allowed to eat it after the third day. It must be done within that day because flesh putrefies or gets old. You can't eat it after that. And God commanded them, don't eat it after, four day, or after three days if you don't. So there was that belief, but basically it is true. And so now uh, go with me to Acts 13, okay? We were, we were in Acts 2, but I want to show you this other place where uh, Paul now will quote this part of our text. The other place, important place, is Acts 13. Now, this some a few years after our Acts chapter 2 passage where Peter was preaching. Now, Paul is on his first missionary journey, and on that journey, Luke is writing here, and he gives almost the entire sermon in this chapter to kind of give us a, a picture of how Paul preached, but go with me back to verse 34, Acts 13, 34. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. First he says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. But then he says, therefore he also says in another psalm, and here's our quotation, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now what is Paul preaching here? The gospel. And what is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, read on with me just a little bit further, uh, a few verses. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption, just like every other body. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, everyone who believes is justified of all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses, and beware lest ye be spoken the, the, what was spoken of the prophets comes upon you, and he pronounces that curse. So what do we read here in Acts 13? We read again that it's very important to our gospel that the body of Jesus Christ saw no corruption. And why is that? It, it, It is because Jesus could bear our sins because he had no sin. If he had had sin himself, he had to die for his own sin, not for mine or yours. But if he had no sin, then he could die not for his own sins, but for our sins. And how can we prove that that happened? How can we prove that he carried my sins and died for my sins but not his own? The fact that when that death was done, and it is finished, and he bore our sins, now he is the sinless son of God, and if his body stays in that grave more than three days and three nights, then he's not who he said he was. He's dying for his own sin, not for yours and mine. But if that body comes out of the grave without, without corruption, meaning death has no hold on him, he's not like Adam and Eve, and he's not like you and me when it comes to this. He has no sin. If then death cannot corrupt him, then he is who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do, and that is he bore our sins as the sinless sacrifice of our uh, sins. And guess what, folks? We celebrate every Easter, don't we? And really every Sunday morning. He arose. He's not here for He is risen. Why are those such great words? Because He is the Son of God who could give us eternal life. And we can prove it by an empty tomb, by the fact that He was not corrupted when He rose from the dead. You know, you and I, I say here, are apart from annihilation for this reason. You and I, our bodies will go back to corruption, won't they? Because we are sinners and because that's what happens to bodies. I've already said, when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Now, does our spirit go to be with the Lord forever and that's it? We live without bodies as spirit beings forever and ever. No, Jesus, Jesus Christ is in heaven right now, body, soul, and spirit. His earthly body was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, and that's the way he is forevermore. Will we be like that forevermore? Yes, we will be. And so Paul, for example, will, uh, will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 4, for we who are in this tent, grown, being burdened, Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up of life. That what was mortal about us will be swallowed up into everlasting life, and we and our bodies will be resurrected, that spirit put back in our body, and we will live forever like Jesus Christ, body and soul forever in heaven with him. That is a hope that we have, that's a promise of our life. And so, again, when I'm standing at that graveside and I'm saying to the family, we're putting this body in the ground, but it's coming back out. Resurrection Day, it'll come back. I'm simply simply comforting believers in the fact that they're not gone. And even though their spirit is still living, their body's going to live too. And that's a great promise. So guess what, folks? You and I will be totally Let me read to you in Peter two promises about our incorruption. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Think about your inheritance now. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, (laughs) never never again to be corrupted never again to experience sin and that does not fade away in other words it's eternal reserved in heaven for you quite an inheritance and it's coming or second peter 1:4 i believe is speaking of the same thing by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. What is that? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Sin is what makes us corrupt. But it will be gone, and we will escape that corruption. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we're apart from annihilation and apart from hell. It's a great promise. Now let me end this quickly on the third point, if you will, And that is, we have a promise of resurrection in verse 11. You will show me, number one, the path of life. In your presence, number two, is fullness of joy. And number three, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a great thing. What's heaven like? What is it like to be in heaven? We have a few descriptions of that. Uh, especially the last two chapters of the Bible, the New Jerusalem and the streets of gold and gates of pearl and all of those things. Those are descriptions of heaven, and we like them. We're, We're glad. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Well, here, the emphasis on number one, you will show me the path of life. And as I've just spoken, That life will be incorruptible and undefiled and will never fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. The path of life. We were talking in the book of Proverbs this morning about walking in the path of righteousness, walking in the path or the steps that God puts in front of you. Well, I want you to know they end eternally in heaven. And the path of righteousness is the path of life where we will go forever. Secondly, there's a fullness of joy. If if the path is the quality, the fullness is the quantity. In the presence of the Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. In the presence of God. Remember Hebrews chapter 12 said when Jesus looked at the cross and the suffering that was before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy set before him because the joy of heaven far outweighs even the cross of Calvary. And our joys of heaven and what is coming to us far outweigh anything that this world could throw at us. And thirdly, there's the presence of pleasure. At the right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's kind of the perpetuity, if you will. Listen to this description in Psalm 36, 7 through 9. Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. There is a a universal forever pleasures of God coming. Maybe we speak lightly of that today because there is this Islamic belief that, uh, you know, uh, people will die and go to this heaven where they speak of these pleasures which are nothing more than the lusts of the flesh that you'll get to satisfy forever and ever. How, How degrading is that? Uh, when you think about heaven itself as a matter of fact john said in first john 2:17, the world is passing away and the lusts thereof but he who does the will of god abides forever and i'm glad that one day uh, we will live in heaven with his pleasures in the fullness of joy the path of life sinless and pure and right before him forever That brings us to the end of Psalm 16. Let me close our study here and our message this morning with a few simple points that I think we need to say it, and especially after today's message. Number one, you need to know that Jesus Christ has done all the work that is necessary for your salvation. Every person in this world needs to understand his death, his life, and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven and his place at the right hand of the Father forevermore. He has done all the work that is necessary. He's done everything for you that you might have eternal life. Number two, you can't do anything. That is for salvation. There's nothing you can do then to add to it. doesn't need to be added to. There's nothing you can do to earn it because you're a sinner. He was not. He has done everything for you as the sinless son of God, and you can do nothing except trust in him. The only thing you can do is something that isn't a work, and that is to put your faith and trust in the one who did work, in the one who did these things. And that's what faith in Christ is. I can't do it, Lord, so I've got to let you do it for me. I can't save my soul. Here, I'll give it to you. You save it. That's faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thirdly, you will be resurrected. Everyone that has ever lived will be resurrected. Not only the believers in Jesus Christ, but even the lost. The believers in Jesus Christ will be resurrected first, at the first resurrection. And we will go, as we have been describing here, uh, to be with the Lord forever, and we will have life in heaven forever forever. That's resurrection for us. But there's a second resurrection coming, and that is that God will take those people who are in death, that is in hell, and those spirits that are there, and their bodies out of the grave. He will put them back together, and they will be cast into now the lake of fire where they will be forever and ever. But they will be resurrected. The reason they have to be resurrected is to give them a body that lives forever, even in a lake of fire. Sad thing, isn't it? And yet that is what the Bible teaches. And so what can you do about that? Only by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior lets you be part of that first joyous resurrection and be part of those uh, that are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So I implore you, put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't trust in your own actions. Don't trust in your own work. Trust in what he has done for you and you will have eternal life. Stand now with me, if you will, as we close the book here and go to the Lord in prayer. Sing a song of invitation. Uh, I trust that you will respond to it. If you're listening to my voice this morning, you don't know Christ as Savior, then please put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. Let's pray together. Father, uh, how we rejoice in the words that we've read today. So great words that Peter had to quote them and use them. Paul had to quote them and use them to speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we might be resurrected. So, Father, as we have tried to understand this and tried to wrap our arms around it, uh, make it as simple as we can, and yet the depth is beyond our understanding. So, Father, I pray that you would use these words to comfort the souls of your saints even in the loss of our loved ones, that we might find comfort in what you've done for them. And then, Father, for those who don't know Christ as Savior, wherever this gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is preached today, that a lost soul might hear it and say, I need that. I need to be saved and place my faith and trust in Christ. May they do that in full assurance of faith. And so, Father, bless in this time that we sing. Speak to our hearts now that we might be moved in the way that you have convicted us today. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation's always open as we sing. That's why we sing a song of invitation. I'm always at the front. You may always come, and we'll sit right here and deal with... Uh, what we need to from the Word of God, or as soon as our service is closed and others are leaving, our invitation still open. You can come even at that time, but you do what the Lord has laid on your heart this morning to do. Gordon will come and lead us in this song.